Hi, Dark Troopers. I'm here uh, chaperoning a school trip. I think all my students are asleep. Gosh, I hope so. It's late. And I have these little snacks from the bus. Oh, my gosh. That's junk food. Who invented these? You know, Cheetos. I remember I ate these in high school. Only when, <laughs> you know, I was doing certain things that I eat these. But they were great. And you know, they're still really great. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> One more. See that little cute bag? Isn't that cute? Okay. Today's topic is the power of imagery when you're trying to heal trauma and archaic wounds. Um, you know, you can make a list of things to give yourself to talk about to help you when you're experiencing anxiety or panic or you're just having a horrible day and things are not going your way. Then you find a quiet spot and you learn how to self-soothe. And one of the ways you can do that self-soothing is through imagery and creating visions and things that you're um, you know, seeing in your head. Um, these are things that, that you're imagining that you're there. Sensory things, a lot of them. Like, I feel this. I smell this. I taste this. Cheetos. <laughs> I, um, you know, you imagine the sensation of taking your shoes off and standing on wet grass. Stuff like that. And, you know, there's just a lot of alternative therapies that are out there these days. Um, you know, ketamine, hallucinogens, um, something called catathem, imaginative psychotherapy. Uh, there's Dr. Vaknin's cold therapy. There's the standard traditional status quo therapies like dialectical um, kind of, uh, you know, DBT talking uh, therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, gestalt therapy, stuff like that. So lots of different things out there, but you know, if you can imagine it, then it exists. If you think about that due to the infinite nature of reality, you know, you have probably heard this expression or something like that, like, like it's all relative. There is no absolute there is no one way, one perspective, or one way to see things. The process of visualizing directs the subconscious to be aware of this end goal that you have in your mind, and it reminds you on a consistent basis all the time, you know, and it trains your brain to respond as if that outcome were true in the present moment. So this whole stuff these days about people talking about law of attraction, quantum healing, magical thinking, quantum physics, you know, John Lennon, he wanted us to imagine a lot of things, right, with that song, but did that manifest them? Look around. I don't think so. His other song, The Dream Is Over, seems more appropriate for times like these. Something a little less known includes some 
unconventional treatments for trauma that involve the power of imagery. So let's talk about that. Uh, one of the most interesting products that uh, came from the International Conference on Psychiatry, Psychology, and Mental Health that was held in Prague in the Czech Republic in 2018 was the therapeutic treatment called uh, Catatham Imaginative Psychotherapy. Uh, most Americans are unfamiliar with this therapy, but for people seeking treatment for trauma-induced CPTSD and other manifestations of life like that with a person with narcissistic personality disorder who live in Europe. If you live in Europe, you're familiar with this treatment modality just as much as you are with things like cognitive behavioral therapy here in this country. Um, Catatham imaginative therapy, um, also the would be KIT, K-I-T, Catatham. Catalan, Catatham Imaginative Therapy um, was developed by Professor Hans Carl Luner in the 1950s. I probably got that wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what's with these names? Uh, in his method of treatment, guided imagery is used in situations where clients experiencing psychosomatic disorders, neurotic symptoms, uh, symptoms of depression, uh, trauma, PTSD, all these conditions like this, you know, and it works, it works like this for these people. It says, in theory, it provides access to their unconscious. This is the best place to begin rewriting your script, your life script, you know, um, healing early trauma of, you know, that the inner child had or developing an autonomous identity learning to self-validate and essentially addressing all the things that must be put in order before hoping, um, you know, to heal and move on. The therapist stays in dialogue with the client through the guided imagery and cautiously guides the client to gather the symbolic contents of the images and to decipher them. Kind of like dream analysis, but you're not asleep. Using this strategy, the therapist can analyze the developmental task and conflicts, defense mechanisms, attachment styles, the process of individuation, as well as creative unconscious processes that may be relevant to what's going on with you. The power of imagery is not confined to this one fairly unknown therapeutic process. In some ways, the treatment of trauma with hallucinogenic drugs and guided dialogue through guided imagery is becoming a mainstream trend in treatment. You know, the, all the talk about arawaska and ketamine and stuff like that. It's for real. And, you know, most people that do it, it's pretty cost prohibitive, actually, if you think about it. It's like, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it is expensive, um, to say the least. So a lot of people just can't pony up that kind of money for something like that. It's like 400 bucks, and this is on average. It could be a little cheaper and it could be a little more some places, but 400 $450 per treatment, not covered by insurance, and, and you have to have multiple treatments, let's say five or six of them, uh, where you get an IV and they put the ketamine in you, and then you have a, a doctor 
trained person who sits beside you and guides you through that experience to help you get to the subconscious deeply implanted trauma that lives inside you. You know, it's expensive and it's not covered by insurance, like I said. And so, you know, it's gaining popularity. Previously, it was a street drug that was abused by addicts, you know, to go down the K-hole, uh, is what they call it, uh, of, you know, like a trippy hallucinogenic experience that can be classified, you know, actually this drug is a horse tranquilizer. That's what it is. It's a horse tranquilizer, which is weird, right? That, People would take that and it would help them in some way. Uh, so, But it has become increasingly popular for trauma victims uh, with deep pockets and ex- that, you know, have expendable cash and can afford it. A treatment is, is pretty cost prohibitive. And um, so, you know, if you can't afford the treatments, there's ketamine spray. You spray up your nose and it can be used to ameliorate anxiety reduce intrusive thoughts and flashbacks and calm the central nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system. So there's no IV drips of the drug with a licensed therapist guiding the dialogue, Um, but just a quick spray and a little relief for a lot less money. So there's that. Um, Other hallucinogenic drugs are allegedly successful in guiding the patient to wellness Uh, Effects include euphoria, visual and mental hallucinations, changes in perception, and distorted sense of time, and perceived spiritual awakenings. For example, San Pedro, cacti, magic mushrooms, peyote, DMT, psilocybin, mescaline, and even LSD come to mind. Let me say something about that. People were doing mescaline and psilocybin when I was in high school, and that has been a little hot minute ago, right? It's been a little while. Um, They just call it different things. And um, most people will agree that, you know, eating a few shrooms is pretty benign, pretty harmless. Not a whole lot can happen to you. It's not going to lead to your death. Um, You know, under most circumstances, if you don't do it alone and you're in a safe place, you know, you're going to be all right. Um, but, you know, some of these you probably do need to have some help. And DMT, um, well, there's just, you know, you've heard of the, um, you know, there's like different components of different drugs that um, people are using. And some of them are pretty are, are not just like eating a few shrooms. There are, there, um, there are a lot more intense, um, and they've even gone mainstream. You know, ayahuasca is a brew made from the, I'm going to get this wrong, Benisteriopsis capi and Psychotria viridis plants. Yeah, taking ayahuasca leads to an altered level of consciousness and healing of inner demons. Once a drug that had to be consumed in a forested retreat in the mountains of Peru, now the natural medicine can be consumed in various locations without a passport or like a thousand plus dollars. You know, I'm pretty sure that all those places that you can go that are really trendy, like um, Sedona, I bet you could find some arawaska around Sedona, 
around all those vortexes. That would be a good place to do that, right? Probably in California, where I live, there's probably places you could get that. I mean, you can go to San Francisco and buy mushrooms legally in the stores there with the cannabis dispensaries. Um, so, you know, there's there's retreats in this country that you can find pretty easily um, and try that out. But what do all these treatments have in common? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> The, what they have in common is vivid imagery, hallucinations, um, visceral images that play an important role in realizing something, acknowledging, uh, seeing it for the first time, experiencing it on some other level that resonates with you in a way that wakes you up or um, causes you to... Um, you know, have a different uh, outcome. So, you know, there's a, there is a brilliant slice of vivid imagery that helps some of us recognize a part of ourselves that needs healing. And by the infamous um, Robert Torvey, he says, therapist, friends, lovers, none can quench the raging fire that burns within the borderline. For that is us, our truth, locked away, Banished, under the stairs, drowned in shame, inside that pain is us. Underneath the Disney fantasy overlay, the borderline seeks not someone to complete them, but someone to annihilate them utterly, to reduce them to thin red paste, to merge them violently with the universe. Come home, borderline. Return from the wilderness in which you have wandered, lapping up sand at mirage after mirage, embracing cacti, staring at the sun. There's nobody out there for you. You have one already, and it needs your help. Right? He's talking about you. You have yourself. You know, you, you seek all of this stuff, these experiences, um, and you just, like, you know, some people spend a fortune doing this stuff thinking they're going to find something when really this, the, it was within you all along, you know. It was, it's like the Wizard of Oz, you know. You had the power to do it all along. It's within you, Dorothy. So, I think that pretty well says it. Do you need to have these altered chemicals I don't know. I think the important thing is the imagery, the guided imagery that you can do for yourself or have a therapist do it. You don't have to have ketamine or ayahuasca or some other hallucinogen. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's therapeutic in some context, and I'm sure some people have had success with it. Sure. You know, um, I know for one, like way back, you know, when I was in high school, and I can tell you, all trips are not good ones. And uh, if you're carrying a lot of darkness in you and then you do hallucinogenic things, might not be an easy or pleasant experience. Might bring up a lot of um, things that are unresolved that you need to work on. And it can be pretty, pretty unpleasant. was for me, I'll tell you that. So if you want to try those things, give it a shot. See if it works. If you have the money to, to do it, um, then, of course, if you're stuck, 
you can't move on. You've been trying to recover for a period of time. It's not getting any better. Sure, why not? Give it a try. Um, but I think that the guided imagery, the pictures in your mind, you know, like when you meditate, you can just transport yourself to a different place. And you can just feel like the sand under your feet or, or the water or the grass or whatever. You can just feel what something feels like under your hand when you touch it, right? When you touch it. And so all of that is, um, I don't want to say, could be therapeutic. I, I think that that's right. It could be healing in some context to just imagine those things that have a very strong visual creation of all the senses, the smell, the touch, everything, the feel of the wind in your hair, just, you know, what it tasted like. And I don't know. <laughs> some people say that you really need to just taste, um, taste dirt and try to, um, you know, lick a rock and see what it tastes like. Um, stuff like that. I don't know. I haven't done much rock licking or, um, you know, walking around in mud or anything. But I will say that anything that's sensory that you're using in your recovery that has to do with something that can ground you in nature, with water, with the earth, with the trees, with the ocean, with the sun, with the sky. It's all powerful. I really do think it makes a difference to connect yourself to that. And um, and if you need enhancements to facilitate that, go ahead and try it. But I think that the powerful part is the imagery. What you're trying to see in your mind, what you're trying to create is a vision and you can recreate one that you've already had or or you can build a new one. So um, I think that um, imagery resonates with those of us who have a thirst for something outside of ourselves to soothe our pain and loneliness. It probably explains how we got tangled up with the narcissist in the first place. You know, it, com it just compels us to turn inward and heal ourselves instead of wandering in the wilderness searching for that magical union that will complete us like we do. And that poem by, um, it's not a poem, the, the writing by Robert Torbay, um, you know, he's got such a way with words. He's one of the top writers on Quora. He's been doing it full time, and I mean full time, like every day, write something new. Um, now there's a lot of people out there curating new content daily and they're just mass producing volumes. <laughs> it's hard for me to come up with one, um, piece of new content per week. I got a lot of stuff going on guys. I'm moving. I was laid off. Uh, my school where I teach closed. Whoever heard of schools closing? I mean, that really wasn't on my radar as even a possibility. I thought I was situated in my new life here. Those of you that have been with me for a while know that I moved from Austin, Texas to to um, Silicon Valley. <laughs> and it's such a beautiful bubble. I mean, it's not, you know, all people are not the same. 
And even though I'm from Austin, Texas, I'm not your stereotypical Texan. I don't have a hat or boots or a goat or a or a chicken or a horse or you know any or a gun or a truck or any of those things. I don't want any of those things. That's not me. I'm practically a vegetarian and I don't believe in guns and I sure as hell don't want to drive a truck. Seems like it's making a huge carbon footprint for one person. If I had to haul stuff around for a farm, I guess I might have one. But just to commute to work, I don't think so. And everybody there seems to have a truck, even if it's just one person on the freeway in this ginormous truck using getting like, you know, 10 miles a gallon. They're doing it. They're rocking it. Got their big gun and their Confederate flag on their truck while they're cutting you off in traffic and flipping you off. It's just... um <laughs> You know, that's a stereotype. It's not everybody. Everybody there is not like that. And everybody in California is not a bunch of bleeding heart liberals. In fact, most of my friends that I've met since I've been here are all pretty conservative. Yeah. Voted for Trump even and sort of sympathize with him and think that he was kind of making good choices and heading in the right direction. I think they're all corrupt, actually. You know, I had a talk with my uh, Lyft driver on the way from the airport today and we were talking I was kind of, I wasn't surprised but I was it was refreshing to have someone who could be knowledgeable about everything and you know he's talking about how this war in Ukraine it just seems kind of manufactured and that America's really you know got an itchy trigger finger to like bring out the big guns and stir up a war with Russia, like why? Well, why would we do that? We were talking about that, and we were talking about the economy and the housing market and how it's not going to be okay, guys. I mean, we're not just going to snap out of it. We're going to have some rough times ahead. Maybe inflation will go down, but we could have a recession, um, layoffs, and uh, you know, people getting foreclosures on their homes. I mean, it was just really nice. To be able to talk to somebody who lives in the real world and who knows what's going on and is nice about it, you know, and understanding that a lot of people don't know, they don't want to know, it's too much. They'd rather just ignore what's happening. <coughs> uh. So, excuse me. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I had a final point. My final point is that the power of seeing something in your mind is tremendous. I'm an English teacher, and I want my students to be able to um, to read and to see pictures in their head. And it, you know, it's just shocked me years ago when they told me there are some people who are incapable of that. They can't do it. They just can't. You give them a book, they don't. They can't. They don't see anything. No wonder they hate reading. They have to see it on a video game or a TV show or on their phone because when when you um, when you just have hand them a bunch of words on a page and expect them to start manufacturing visions in their head, some people have real trouble doing that, and then some people just go nuts and it's just you know and I have a one of my degrees is in theater, <laughs> I know all over the place English theater guidance and counseling. Mm -hmm. guidance and counseling. Um, but they used to say on stage, 
that it's more powerful not to show certain things, but to to allude to it to the point that the audience gets to imagine how horrific it was, and that almost always whatever the audience um, can imagine is going to be worse, more graphic, and more powerful than anything that you could show them on the stage. And I think that that's true. So when you're trying to have visions, you do not want to be pulling up visions of your narcissist and thinking, oh, I wish he would hurry up and hoover me because I miss him. Because that's just some really messed up thinking, self-sabotaging, and you're just never going to be okay if you don't just let that go. Um, but, you know, that whole images that you need to start creating, images of your future, images of things you want to do, images of things that bring you comfort, that would be a good start. You know, think about those kind of things and go from there. And if you want to add a little ketamine spray into the routine, something like that, then, hey, I give you give you snaps for um, doing all the big things, you know, pulling out all the stops, doing whatever has to be done to get well. Uh, because we are sick. We got sick because we got infected by this person who had narcissistic personality disorder or who was a psychopath or a sociopath. And we don't talk a whole lot about sociopaths and psychopaths. The N-word is the big deal. Narcissist, narcissist, narcissist. But you know they're all in the same grouping in the DSM chart. They have overlapping features. And there's different kinds of narcissists. Some of them could be psychopathic or sociopathic. Some of them could be sadist. Some of them could be somatic, cerebral high range, low range, mid grade, you know, there's just lots of different kinds. They they there's not it's on a spectrum of severity and of like how it manifests. And so how we treat it, you know, you cannot discount or minimize this stuff because you know it's been a life changing thing to try to recover for whatever that was, that fantasy thing. You fall out of that fantasy bubble and whoa you know, reality is, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so black and white and gritty and awful and ew, I don't like it. I want to go back to the fantasy. So, in conclusion, <laughs> I'm going to say, I think it's really important that you start trying to visualize stuff. Not just as a pattern interrupt to stop the recursive thinking and the the um, intrusive thoughts and the ruminations and all that stuff that happens when you have trauma and PTSD, not just for that purpose, because it works for that, but also to create a vision of something real for yourself that you're going to move towards. Yeah. And um, to create an inner landscape for yourself, an inner um, identity through mapping out visual uh, cues and visual traits and descriptions and and just actually seeing it and experiencing it in the mind's eye. Um, so, yeah, that's what I want to say about that. Um, and I'm going to drink this water. <laughs> and I'm going to go check on my students to make sure they're in their room and they're not up to any shenanigans. And then I'm going to go sleep. But I wanted to talk to you guys. Uh, because I wanted to talk about this imagery thing. Sounds like a boring topic, but it's really not. Y'all should check into it some more. Okay, gotta go. Much love. Bye.
Oh, wait. <laughs> it didn't go. I forgot. <laughs> I have Cheetos. Okay. Bye.